Hi, and welcome back to In the Process of Healing. Here with me this week, we've got an amazing guest, Trina. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Well, so we've been on a bit of a journey already with our guests that we've had so far. Yeah. Um, I'm going to shed some light on what you believe healing is for you. Um, for me, I think healer, healing is recognising your past traumas, the impact it's had on you, and taking the time to seek therapy, I guess, to start the process of healing. Um, I think it's important because you can carry it through generationally if you don't yeah. have those traumas. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, generational trauma. I think we've spoken quite a bit about it. Like Definitely when I spoke to my mother about it, I don't know if there's like a recognition of the trauma or maybe past trauma that was experienced that she never maybe quite dealt with or maybe didn't communicate with us. But there was certain things that she did communicate with us very well. But then noticeably now as we've grown into adults and we're all stepping into our adulthood that maybe there was some things that she didn't, do quite correctly because she didn't know how to you know handle that situation because she never had the tools at the time to handle it when she was going through it Mm -hmm. so would you say that there's anything that you've learned so far about cutting those generational traumas or is there any generational traumas that you think were posed onto you um definitely I think for me having a child at 21 is quite a young age for some people um, but I can definitely say it's not until you become a parent or you're in a position where you're having to pass on some sort of life value um, or wisdom to somebody else that you start to recognize your own traumas. You start to recognize there's things missing from your life. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say only parents because I don't feel like it's only parents, but I can only speak as a parent. I can say definitely once you have your children, and you want to instill certain values in your children, it makes you question where does your values and habits come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and then especially when you're parenting, you look to your parents, you're going to parent according to how you was parented too, basically how your parents treated you. And you're going to, you're, because where else can you draw from your parenting experience yeah. from? You're going to draw from your own childhood. And then that's, that's why I say it's when you become a parent that those trauma start to present itself because then you start to question everything you went through because yeah. when you're trying to look for instruction and direction as a parent you're going to first look to what your childhood was like yeah. so it's going to start to raise some stuff because you're going to start to say to yourself I don't want to do that because I don't want my child to be left with that or I'm going to make sure I'm going to be this type of parent because mm-hmm. I want my child to have this this lifestyle, this, this lifestyle yeah. and have that impact so that's why I'm saying that for me it was when I became a parent is when I started to recognise hold on there's generational traumas that we got here I want to be the person that breaks them. Yeah. I've always I've always wanted to be that person. And I think I can say that is because I'm a grandparent girl. I was raised by my grandparents a lot. And okay. they're Windrush generation, um, mm-hmm. my grandparents. So I and I'm I was blessed enough to have three grandmas, two granddads, because by the time I was born, my granddad remarried. So because I spent a lot of time with my grandparents growing up and they even took me back to their home countries, I heard a lot of stories. Yeah. And I saw Katrina, I could have been if my grandparents didn't make that transition to come over to the UK. So 
that's why it became really important for me to continue the work that they did. And then through their stories, I just saw how generational trauma plays out itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, did, I didn't want to carry it. I just said, I'm not carrying it. And I didn't yeah. think it was fair for my son to carry it. But you know, I love how you talk about it because it sounds so beautiful. Like you said that they told you stories and they gave you their experiences. But what what from the stories that they told you that was like, okay, that was impactful. That's something I'm going to take. Because you know the saying, um, it doesn't take just parents to raise a child, it takes a village, you know? And I think with that saying, it says a lot. It's true. I, I don't... Personally, I feel like my values, yeah, my core values, I would say, came from my parent, particularly my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely do see where I've drawn upon inspiration for such word, but like I've drawn on like, okay, I value that and I see that and I'm like, okay, how can I mold that? Or how does that fix into my life? So mm-hmm. what was the kind of like things anything you drew upon? Um, the transition of how they got here was okay. mad to me because <laughs> my my granddad, the biggest one I think is my my mum's dad. Yes, that's my granddad. So my dad's mum's dad. So he came over to the UK by boat because mm-hmm. obviously there was the Windrush boat, which was nineteen. Don't quote me, fifty something, I think, or forty. You can check it. Don't worry, that's what people's for. Right. But he didn't come on the actual windbrush boat. But at the time, that's the form of travel that they had. It was to come across by boat. From what my granddad said, is you came across by plane if you was from that rich type of background. So mm-hmm. that was your options. If you had that kind of money, you flew. But majority of people came by boat still. So he was 21 and he decided to come by boat. And he said it took, I know it took a good couple of weeks. I know it wasn't a quick Six thing weeks or something, or something yeah, like that, right? Yeah. see. I, from that, from, and then I remember him saying to me when he got here, he couldn't believe it. It was cold. <laughs> um, the person that he traveled with was travel sick the whole time as well that he had to share with. Um, and then when he came that like, obviously he saw the signs that we all know, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish and stuff. So that was a real shocker. Then he had to like, yeah, his dream just got crushed quite quickly because I think mm-hmm. he came, he was a tailor. So I think he had dreams of like getting into fashion designing. Yeah. And then he wanted to be an engineer. Um, he had dreams of that as well. And then once he got here, he realized you can only get the job that they were willing mm-hmm. to give him. Funnily enough, the place that I'm living now, when my him and my grandparents came over for a holiday, I found out that I'm actually living where the factory is where they met. <laughs> the, oh the factory the factory where they met is actually behind my home um it That's used to be crazy. a factory yeah it was crazy but so it's meant to be it was like a- I, know, I know i never forget that my grandma came to my my home and she was like Factory that's behind your home. That's the factory i've always told you about in the stories that me and granddad met at that we worked wow. at. So like, wow. but um yeah so when my granddad told me that story that 21 he traveled here with expectations but not knowing what to cut what he was going to be yeah. faced with and look at the world we live in today. We got iPhone, we got Google, yeah. we got FaceTimes, we got WhatsApp calls, we got everything here to connect around the world. Them days they had none of that. They just had paper and pen. Um, yeah. So imagine you're 21 and you with your small suitcase and you just said, I'm going on a boat, you know. Remember, you don't even know if the boat will sink and make yeah. it right there, right? At 21, you're traveling like that for long yeah, yeah. yourself, yeah. 
You don't know if the money that you got that you're traveling with is going to even be enough and stretch. You can't call no one. <laughs> safely. Yeah. Everyone back at home don't know if you got here yet until you write a letter and then staying on the tour, they write a letter back. Yeah. 21, my grand. So now when I look at my life, I'm like, how can I not do anything I put my mind to when my granddad left at 21 from Jamaica yeah. on the boat, managed to meet my grand, procreate to now having four children between them. It's not even count how many of us there are as grandchildren <laughs> right now. Managed to buy a house in Dulwich. And if you know about Dulwich, houses are millions in East Dulwich. Yeah. Managed to settle and actually have a, I think it was a four or five bedroom house in Dulwich to then be able to migrate back to Jamaica. And I won't even explain the, the home in Jamaica. Like, it's, no. it's on a madness scale. And I look and I think, I can't do what I put my mind to. Like, seriously? <laughs> like, after my granddad done that, and I'm here complaining. And then even my other granddad, when he told me his version, he came by plane. So he came a little bit later okay. than my my mum's dad so this is my dad's dad now um and he actually came with my grandma because my other grandparents met in the uk yeah. um whereas my dad's parents they actually came together like, together. like my granddad oh, came first beautiful. and sent for my gran and everything like that so when he told me his version of the story the one that was mad to me was when he said that someone came up to him and said you know your cousin's here I said, do you know how bad that would be in this day and age that you travel somewhere and you don't even know your family's here? Someone on the road tells you, yeah, your family's here, you know, you know, she link. And then, that's it. Like, uncles about. Yeah. When he told me how it went, I was like, could you imagine that? You've got no connections, you've got no here. You're just here. Could you imagine how happy and joyful they felt when they realized actually someone from where I'm from is here? You know what's brilliant? You talk about that because. We've been talking about solidarity a lot and finding your connections, one being like chosen family and obviously your biological family, but the beauty in not feeling so alone mm. in those moments. And especially like something like that, where you're like in a foreign country, you have this expectation that it's going to be, it's probably this grand thing when it's not. Like, what do you think the importance of family is? And in reference to trying to cope, and I think that is like a big word because I feel like the world that we're living in right now, we have to be honest, we went through a crazy pandemic, came out of it. Not many people were secure in finances, weren't secure in what they're going to do next. People didn't know how the world was going to change. And we've seen the inflation in money. We've seen infl- like that so damaging in a lot of ways. And if you're in the process of even trying to heal you know, traumas, that's going to come second. Mm. We're going to be thinking, okay, I need to get my finances straight. I need to make sure everyone else is okay. But then what What then does that do to you as a person? Do, do you get what mm. I mean? So to ask you a question, <laughs> um, how, how much do you value family and in reference to as a support system for you? For me? But I, I value my family highly. I don't, I always say this, I don't have much friends. It's like a whole, I have a lot of family <laughs> sort of thing. We still, as a family, gather every Sunday at my granddad's house. This is my dad's side. Every Sunday, we still gather at my granddad's house for dinner. He still cooks us all dinner. 
So there cute. are two meats, rice and peas, the whole lot. <laughs> right? Um, and that is a big thing. And and sometimes I sit there and I think, is there going to come a day where that's going to be gone? Let's be honest. My grandpa, my granddad's yeah. aging. I've already lost my step-grand. So for me, I know there's going to be a day when that comes and that, that coming together on a Sunday is going to go. And that, I'm not going to lie, that scares me because when you're asking about how important family support is, you could be having, and probably other members of my family can say this, you could be having a week that is just not going according to plan. But knowing that we're going to link on Sunday at Grandad's, mm. you know what I mean? Because there's days when I'm like, oh, great, Grandad's thoughts long. But I'll go to Grandad's, we'll link up and like, so uncle or somebody would be there and we just banter was still happening and I'm like do you know what actually I'm glad that I didn't stay in bed or whatever I actually got up and I went to granddad's because now we've had pants and yeah. everything's good but yeah for, if it weren't for my family I don't think I wouldn't even have a business <laughs> that's, that's, to, mm-hmm. that's to begin with um, my family actually bought me my first fencing kit for my 30th birthday and that's what helped me get, my, get started on my own um, and then my aunts, because unfortunately, parts of my trauma and healing process come from my grandparents, um, not my grandparents, sorry, my parents. Like I said, unfortunately, my parents were young when they had me. They were 20, 19, 19 going into 20. Mm-hmm. So from what my mum says is coming from a very strict Caribbean background, she didn't really have much freedom. No. So once she had me, obviously she was seen as an adult as a woman and then she was able to do what she wanted so she with that freedom she just went this to do she needed to yeah, do and then grandma oh. being that typical big big um old school grandma you know the yeah for pinch to be a bit stretch them and all of that <laughs> stuff and want to take over so because my grandma was like that my mom said she just let her take over and my mom was gone right? yeah. <laughs> and then my dad's a sound man so he was always in every party rave so i spent i spent my childhood bit getting grown up by my grandma um, and my granddad's. So when things happened between my mum and my dad and there was like infidelities and stuff, they kind of like just got into their own world and their own business. So I wasn't really, I wouldn't say I got raised by my parents, you know, they might be hurt by hearing that, but it's the truth. I wasn't really raised. And when I say raised, I'm saying that because I'm a parent now and it takes more than just, making sure financially you support a child. There's yeah. those values and lessons and just little habits and those things you got to develop. And I wouldn't say my parents necessarily did that. Okay. I'll say that was my grandparents. And because that happened during my teenage years, I got a bit wild. <laughs> I got a bit rebellious. And this is why family is important because thank God my two aunts stepped in, which was my mum's mm. sister and my dad's sister. Because if they did not step in, <laughs> I might have been a more than than what I was, right? Yeah. Um, so that's why, to me, when you ask that question, like how important is family when it comes to the process of healing, I will say that is important because, like I say now, my aunts, like my aunts now, will clock if something's going on. They can clock if if something's not okay with me because they know that I'm not a person to go quiet and everything. So if they're like, "Oh, we haven't really." Um, heard or seen you anybody yeah. else because of the work I do and I'm my founder of my own company and I run my mm. own company everyone would just assume oh she's busy she's busy because she's this businesswoman mm. and she's independent and yeah. we would just assume and leave it but then my aunts now they'll be like nah 
Yeah, when it comes to that process of healing, thank God I had my two aunts because that's and that's what encouraged me to start my company because I just felt as a parent, I get it now. Mm. So you can't always give what you give your child what they need at the time because you're human. You're human, you're only doing your yeah. best. And you're going through stuff as well. And like I said in the beginning of this podcast, it's usually when you start becoming a parent yourself, your own trauma starts to present itself. So you yeah. get a bit mashed up along the way sometimes. And it takes of you course. off guard of being a parent. So, um, But the unfortunate thing for that child now, if there isn't something like family, like what I had, yeah. there's no one there to help guide huh. them along the way and navigate them through their feelings sure. now. And that's when I said, that's why I say, generational trauma that's how that keeps growing yeah. in that way because like i said while you the parent now re- recognize your traumas as being the parent to that child you've neglected your child now for a piece yeah. now your child's picked up something that they're carrying yeah. so that's why i developed this is what i developed because i really wanted there to be a corner in schools and in the community that if parents aren't able to give what their child needs at that point. And a child doesn't come from a big family like I do and has the mm-hmm. support network. I wanted my company to be some sort of support network to support them through and navigate them through that time period where they just haven't got an adult there helping them process their emotions and the feelings yeah. of what's going through. Because when we're stressed, our, our children feel the stress and that's what they people do. don't realise. Um, and if they haven't got someone sensible there to navigate them through that emotional yeah. trauma and emotional stress, I will later present itself in an adult life. Oh, and so you very pick up behaviors and yeah. your behaviors become your usual habits, and then now you're here as an adult. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So. No, I do get you. Like, I take on a lot from what you said because most definitely, like, the immigrating thing, I hear that so hard. Like, especially my mom's grandparents, they came over, they, they did well. Like my grandma going to the medical field. She went up to Scotland, big old Scotland, mm-hmm. Ghanaian woman by herself right. up there. You no, know, her sister went to France to learn about mental health and stuff. And I'm just like, because. how? That's really big. Like from a small little country place in Ghana, you've gone to do this. My grandma, my dad's mum, came from Jamaica really young, really young. She had my father when she was 15. Mm. And all of that, and I see, I see how the struggle becomes the motivation. And I feel like, yes, I think you need to have bad moments or a struggle moment or whatever to get you through certain things, or so you can start to acknowledge or mature in a certain way that so you can understand it. However, struggle can also be, or I feel anyway detriment mm. to a lot of people because then we start falling back on those moments where as you said just because you're financially supporting me mm. doesn't mean that you're parenting me and with that also being said which is really interesting is that i feel like parenting back then is very different to parenting now mm. yeah and i can acknowledge that and also the fact of you saying that, oh, your grandparents raised you. I feel to a certain degree, my grandparents did raise me until, you know, suddenly they passed. But I think even to now, if they were around, they're probably like, you don't do that. You need to go and do this. I feel like in their heads, or at least from what I witnessed, was they missed out on a lot of the parenting mm. with my parents. Mm-hmm. Because 
they were too busy thinking, okay, they need the best things in life. But probably what they needed was a present parent. And how do you, how do you, you know, juggle that when you're trying to also chase your dreams, when you're also trying to, you know, set a good example to your children as to what to do next. So it's like, oh, what it feels like it's a lose-lose situation either way you go. But thank you for those points. I also, you mentioned about your business. So I want to take a step back. (laughs) I feel like this is the work that you're doing Mm -hmm. currently, I think is so damn important yeah. so important and i'm very thankful that you brought me on because at the time of my life and i and this is what inspired this yeah can I, uh, um uh, what's his name would you call it what what do you call it is it reviews or whatever before you go for udas about working yeah you can you can say how it inspired you to go my company is called uda um it, it definitely helped me in my own healing journey at the time where I was in my life. And we've had many of conversations about that, <laughs> but it was not okay. And this also goes back to childhood trauma or like things I didn't, or thought I dealt with because I was so occupied with, you know, gymnastics. I was so occupied with dance. I, I would just, I was doing so well in every other area than dealing with my inner emotions. Mm. And it's very interesting you say the thing about, oh, your family, not just your family, but friends would just think, oh, she's just busy because you've got a business to run. And I think that's what people started to think about me is that, you know, Kellen's good. He, you know, I have, I've had a successful career. I, I can't complain mm. really. Um, but, they just thought, oh, he's just, he's so busy. To the point where people would stop inviting me to things. And at some point that starts to hurt. Like they start, they stop inviting you to like birthdays yep. or weddings or like trips abroad. Those ones, that. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah, that's horrible. So then you're just there by your lonesome. And then they send you like a WhatsApp being like, oh, look how where we are. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you just feel like, feel like uh, what's his name? Wiley, no invite. No invite. Uh, people that are listening, Wiley's like a rapper. <laughs> and, uh, well, is he a real rapper? He's the godfather of crime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he was upset that he didn't get invited to, what is it? I think it's Spotty or Stormzy, one of the two. Man said, no invites. That's my go to now. <laughs> no invite. No invite. But do you know what I mean? Like that, it can look um, quite painful. And Yes, I know it, it may become tedious for the other person to always invite, but I think then there's an importance in inclusion or feeling a part of something. Um, I just want to take a step back because mm-hmm. I know it's going to build into about your work, <laughs> but motherhood yeah, and why that is so vital. Because obviously I know you, but that's, you know, why it's so vital to your business and the importance of your business. What, motherhood? Yeah. Your mother, you, me, the mother. Um, I can link it all actually. Hey, let's probably. go for it. I probably can link it all, hopefully. So I can go, I can take <laughs> it up to the healing part of your traumas. Okay. Um, there's so much to unpack it. <laughs> Good, that's why we're here. All right, so let's go, let's go back to when my child was little, so primary school age. I have a child that has neurodiversity first and foremost. 
Could you expand um, on what neurodiversity Neurodiversity is? is either where you have like autism, Asperger's, ADHD, some sort of neurological deficiency, basically. That's okay. science science terms. But in my eyes, I just think they're superhumans. <laughs> um, because with neurodiversity, yeah, the downside is they have deficiency, neurodeficiency, which means um, they might not be able to do the same things as a neurotypical person. So that means be on time, be organized, all those things, or social cues and mm-hmm. have empathy. And, you know, I mean, their emotional literacy might be at different stages. However, one of the beautiful things about neurodiversity is that they do have an exceptional mind and a way of seeing life. So they will mm-hmm. see things that the average person won't be able to see, hear, smell, taste, feel, all of that. So I'm more intrigued in that. That's what I'm interested in is their hyper-focus. What is that? Lazy that I see that makes them great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So with that being said, um, when I did have a child with neurodiversity, it was a real struggle. Still is a struggle today, to be fair, in terms of education. And when you look at most, um, when you look into the lives of most people with neurodiversity, they all, you'll always see a similarity with them having a struggle in education. Yeah. But unfortunately, education in most parts of the world is designed for the neurotypical person. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um and there isn't a, there isn't like an education that's in between because there are some people that are physically disabled to the point that they do need to go to a school where they have to have constant one-to-one sport yeah. um, because they're non-verbal and stuff like that. But then unfortunately, there's also this in-between where we've got people that's neurodiverse where you just need to have a little bit more patience and understanding with them, but you don't necessarily get that in school because it's been designed for a neurotypical person. Yeah. Okay. What's this institution? And the whole point of institutions... <laughs> Is to get us all thinking in the same the same way the way the way they want us to view the world. Obviously. Yeah. So, so and neurodiverse people are completely opposite from that. They're gonna tell you no. directly yeah. you know, about yourself and how they see things. So that's why you often see that there's always that conflict with them because they they're gonna they want to go against the grain and yeah. not in a bad mind way or to be disruptive. And it's not on purpose. Yeah, either. on purpose. It's just now they see the world and I think that should be accepted. So with that being said, that's how my journey into this started because my son was facing a lot of challenges in his education and I started to get worried about impact that that was having, mm-hmm. um, the negative things people were saying or just not understanding his world and making him feel bad for the things he was doing like he was a bad person or you know, because, and, and my thing was, as children, our job is to help them develop an understanding of who they are in this world and how to be them, their selves, their authentic selves, and work towards their purpose in this world, right? Because when you're mm-hmm. born, you're born with no knowledge, right? Yeah. Um, and everything that you see, you want, you, you want, you are trying to understand it. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you need navigating that, and that's what I believe our job is as parents, as teachers, and whatever we're helping them navigate okay. themselves to be ready to be the best, to be the best they can, right? Yeah. So when I saw that school was crushing his spirit more than building his spirit, it became a problem for me. At the time, I was already working in education myself as a work, workshop facilitator and activity provider, right? Um, and then what was happening is I was traveling to loads of different schools. I was working in Birmingham, Bristol, Isle of Wight, this guy all about the place teaching, right? Yeah. One of the things that was happening when I was going into schools was teachers would be coming up to me saying, be careful of that child. 
because of this, that, and the third. And it bothered me because I'm just thinking, as a mum, I knew my, my son was reflecting, sorry, not the, the words not reflecting, was having challenging behaviours in school because at the time they didn't know what they were dealing with. No. You know, they still don't know <laughs> what they're dealing with and how to address it. But um, Sorry to cut you off. Do you think that they don't know or they're just not interested in knowing? I think they just generally don't know. And I okay. think of the education, I mean, I've not gone through my PGC, B, PGC, PGS, the teacher training, basically. I haven't been through my teacher training to get into my route of being an uh, educator in school. I've mm-hmm. got it through my coaching qualifications, right? Yeah. So I don't know, but I do know within teaching, they generally teach you about different types of learning, right. kinesthetically and everything. Yeah. But from being in the school environment... I will say that I think most of the time when they're teaching teachers about neurodiversity, it always draws on autism because mm. that's the most information that's out there. Not to say that's anything on autistic people, no. but that's the most information that's out there right now. And I think it's a little bit because the diagnosis of ADHD and, and other neurodiversities have got better. Yeah. So the numbers are increasing Okay. before the numbers seemed lower because there wasn't a good diagnosis. So there's not much information because at the time there was only a few people, but then compared to autistic people, so there is more information. Then a lot of teachers don't realize a lot of the behavior that they see in an ADHD child is dysregulated behavior and they just need to learn how to regulate it. And they'll have a lot easier time. And and it could be the smallest thing, like their parent gave them the wrong breakfast this morning. So you kind of need to work together. If your parents giving them the wrong breakfast and then sending them into school, that's just messing up everyone's day. So everyone's got to work together, but it's got to start with fixing the education around neurodiversities first and Mm. getting a lot more people's stories and experiences to kind of like put more awareness and information out there. This is why I think it's so important because I'm hoping that someone would hear this and go, oh my God, that could be my child or that could be Mm. me. And that could help with that process of dealing with the... We keep calling it trauma, but effectively it becomes a trauma. It becomes a trauma because it went undiagnosed for so long. Yeah. Because even, I mean, maybe don't mind me saying, but even my partner who is my child's dad, we went to school together. So we've been together since school. So I can see a lot of stuff that he has to deal with now that probably become his traumas is because he went so long being undiagnosed. Do you know what I mean? Because now I see it in my son, some of his behaviours that was in school, but I'm here educated for my son on ADHD unfortunately like I said before because there wasn't really much diagnosis because when I speak to his mum his mum says that school just called it being overactive we now know it's called ADHD you know what I'm saying so and for that sake because I see now what my partner had to go through that's why it was so important to make sure I educate myself on what this is so I can change the way I was parenting because oh, okay. like I said before at the beginning of the podcast when you go to start being a parent you draw on your own experience yes. as a child yeah, yeah. childhood on how you're going to parent but but I for my child and I was I was getting frustrated till I ended up having a mini breakdown because I was like before I was a rubber, when I was scared about being a parent because I was young yeah. yeah first of all then I was scared as well because I got pregnant straight after uni like, fresh out of uni. Fresh out. When I say fresh, fresh it was, right? <laughs> graduated July 2006. I was pregnant by October 2006. That's how fresh it was, right? Oh, God. So I was, had that pressure of, oh, I've let the family down. I'm the first to go to uni. Now I'm pregnant at 21. Like, 
we ain't got no place. So I already in my head, I just had these doubts that everyone's judging me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I was like, already like, I got to be best prayer at camp, got be. So when everything's like crumbling and school's calling me, telling me I got to pick up my child, my son got suspended from nursery, you know. <laughs> he was at nursery, nursery. school because unfortunately um, I was enough at the time schools were still giving full-time nursery places not so much now so I managed to get mm. him into one I remember they suspended my son from nursery and from oh, there God. the problem started happening spiral every day pick him up I'll pick him up <laughs> like, oh, now so I had to give up work to give up work because I became unreliable because I had to keep leaving to go pick him up, up. Yeah, and this yeah. stuff and started to educate him at home and that's when I had to I remember I remember it was in my corridor um, I think my mother-in-law was there my mum and I just broke down crying and I couldn't stop crying hysterically I was just screaming I just I was mashed up I was all over the place right and yeah. I broke down because I was I thought I was failing as a mum and then that's when I started reading and realised okay. that had to do things differently because my child was saw the world differently i said the way i was parented can't work with, with him mm-hmm. i started to just i started to experiment with loads of different stuff and with those experimentations that's how i started to build my business could you give me some experimentations that you used or were effective because i don't know like from people i've spoken to that also have no diverse children mm-hmm. i also fall under the neurodiversity as i am dyslexic and yeah we'll get into that but um you know some of you because it might work for someone else well because my background is my main background is dance um and then i went into gymnastics um and become a gymnastics coach and then after that went into fencing and became a qualified fencing coach yeah so um because i saw my son was very active i decided to put him in everything because i know what let me say this first one i started to draw on my own resilience i said why am mm. i resilient okay yeah and then i know i, I said that's the one thing i started to look at in terms of my childhood but that's the one value that i really wanted him to have is the resilience that i had okay. so i thought started to break down why am i resilient and i was like i'm resilient because i was always active i was always doing some form of activity whether it was i mean i started off in dance then went to gymnastics and went back to dance okay. i always took the opportunity and being um, a dancer for like local youth projects gave me lots of opportunities. So I was like, I know that's something I definitely want for him. So we went everywhere. We went football, basketball, gymnastics, swimming. We went everywhere. <laughs> he settled on BMX and made sure he did swimming. Mm. Um, Cause I think it's really important that people oh, you know how to swim. And I think we did a bit of gymnastics and he loved basketball. Yeah. He was doing basketball. His, his week was filled every day. He had an activity. That's first and foremost. Yeah. There was no time for him to just get up to rubbish. Because <laughs> I knew that that for me. Because unfortunately for me, as a, I was the only child for a long time. I'm now a sibling of, um, there's five of us. But me and my siblings are like 12, you know, 11, 12 and 13 years apart. So oh, for a long time, you might as well say I was by myself. Yeah. So for me, I was just like, why can't this kid just find something to do in here? I was actually by myself. But I realised, like I said, that worked for me when my parents buried me. I could sit there by myself and find something to do. My son couldn't do that. Yeah. So that's why I had to get up and say, all right, he has to have an activity every day. He's got to be doing something. So that was the first thing. And then I think when I had my mini breakdown, I had to really start to heal myself. And that's when I started to read a lot. Um, okay. I think, and that's when I really became determined about 
having my own business. I think at the time as well, I think a bit of my breakdown came because I had a, um, I just had a bad, came out of a bad business partnership with a friend. Oh, We're still yeah. friends, but we went a bit left. So I think with that and then school, I just felt a bit of rubbish. And then obviously I was, I had a baby, so I wasn't actually really doing the thing that I went to uni mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. So I think everything just came on top of me, just yeah. like I felt like rubbish, and I just had a breakdown. I thought, even now, this parenting thing, I'm feeling like <laughs> school's like calling me, like what I'm actually doing. And then I started to read. I said, I said to myself, I wanted to build new habits that was going to make me successful and was going to make me financially independent. That's what I was searching for as well, because I okay. thought my grandparents have come over here, did a big boy thing, and you know. <laughs> Here I am in council flat. What is this? Gone big uni. Now I'm here in two bedroom council flat working to just pay bills. I, this is not my life. This yeah. is not what I was intending to do, especially after my granddad like drilled it into me like, you got to do, do better. Yeah, yeah. thing. So I'm like, what is this? So that's like reading. I remember so I listened to a podcast by, oh, what is this guy's name? New Might. It's called New Mindset. Who this? Can't remember. Is there the a book of it though? Is a book? He does a New he Mindset. Does, yeah, but he does. Oh, what was the guy's name? He's got. He's still got the podcast there. Cause I still listen to it from time to time. Um, but it's called New Mindset. Who this? And he done a podcast, but then he also does this weekly. I think he does a weekly newsletter as well that you could have read. Beautiful. Started to listen to him and read all his 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 blogs and stuff. And then he spoke about his habits that okay successful people have. Yeah. And if you want to be successful, you got to change your habits. And that's what came out to me. I was like, nobody with my family yet has done that thing to break the generational curse. You know what I'm saying? No one's done it yet. And that's when I realized because the habits have to change. No one's decided to change the habits. No one's decided to heal from the traumas. No one's decided to get rid of like limiting beliefs and all of that lot. Of course. So I decided to do it and I started to read. I said, what is it that people that I call successful because that's being financially free and stable. Okay. What are they doing in their day-to-day that I'm not doing? Yeah. That's what I started to look at. I started reading, reading, reading. Change up. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Everybody knows that one. That's the first one I went to. And that one just said, yep, change my habits. I can't remember what the other one is. I think the other one is about the Nike story of how Nike started. I can't remember the book, but that's another good book. So I started reading that and then started to draw on holistic therapies. Okay. I like to learn about affirmation, mm. mindfulness, manifestation, goal setting, all of this stuff. So I did start to do that for myself. Realised that it was working. So I thought, hmm, let me start doing it with my son. So I started to do affirmations with him first because I was like, yeah, let me do affirmations with him. So when yes. he goes into school, like I was saying before, when teachers try to put it on a, a new person in school, saying, oh, watch out. Because that's immediate. When I went to schools and people were saying, oh, watch out for that child, my mind just went to my son. So I said, I would hate to know what man is or woman is saying to somebody else. Yeah, kids, watch out for him. If he gives you trouble, whip him out. I thought, that's not fair. Yeah. My son's not like that at home. Just because you don't understand yeah. <laughs> with neurodiversity, you're labelling him as this bad child. When And and anybody I told outside of school that's what's happening to, to my son. They were shocked. They were shocked. They were like, huh? Yeah. My son? I said, yeah. That's how they view him. So... And being a teacher myself, I knew it wasn't intentional and personal. But when you've got 30 children, you just, it's too much. You ain't got time when it's a bunch out to just be messing about. So I knew it weren't intentional, but I wanted to help in it. And I was I was thinking about it as a teacher and I was thinking about it as a mother. And yeah, I started to see the impact of me pairing 
the holistic therapies with to my son with making sure he was physically active every day, how it was making him have this resilience. And yeah, when he was feeling low mm. or dealing with something, he had the tools to be able to like process what was happening mm. and his emotions. Do you get what I'm saying? So that's that's process. that's what was important to me because this business isn't about like selling positivity every day you gotta be happy. That's toxic. That's the real world. People, yeah. I would say to people, embrace it. Embrace the negative feelings because without it, how do you know what positive ones feels like? Yeah. You don't know what feeling bad is like. I don't know, know when you're feeling good. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So I'm not here trying to teach people, oh, yeah, every day has got to be happy, every day is big. Mm. No, no, no. What we're teaching is emotional literacy here. And emotional literacy is should really be a part of a child's personal development. Yeah. It was the part that was important to me because I just thought when I'm not around, you know, to comfort your child, oh, there, there, hugs, hugs, hugs. I want to know he has the ability to handle himself, to handle himself and to process that. Emotion. It's so interesting you say that because, you know, I, when we had, when we worked together, we had an assembly and there was a story about how this guy got angry at a donkey and smacked it and then like turned around and the angel was standing there because the don't got the ability to talk and say, do you not see the an- angel standing there? And then this whole thing. But then her teacher asked one of the kids, like, what do you think they should do? And one of them went, what was it? And it made me chuckle because I was like, nah, they're right, you know, deal with it. Deal with it. Why, why, why should I pretend that it didn't happen? Deal with it. In that moment, what did it make you feel? And be honest mm. with yourself. How did that make you feel in that moment? And that that can make all the wider difference. Mm. You know, have you ever heard of the five-second rule? I love that. I do really believe in it. I really do believe in it. And also, psychologically, it's, it's how long you're angry for anyway. So the five-second rule is, if you don't know it, um, is you're only actually angry for five seconds. When you get angry or upset or whatever it is, you're only in that state for five seconds. What prolongs it is the fact that you keep remembering uh-huh. how that moment made you feel. And then it just bruises and it bruises and it bruises. But then, oh wait, did I say five seconds? I think it's five minutes. No, five seconds. Uh-huh. It's five seconds. And then, so what you're then supposed to do is go, okay, you're going to take that five seconds. Oh no, that's what it is. You're going to say that five seconds. You can make it five minutes. That's fine. After those five minutes, you're done with it. Deal with it. Deal with it in that moment. After that five minutes, you're done with it. Let it go. It happened. You did it. It's Mm. done. It's happened. And I do try and practice it. Some days is better than others, as we all know. I do. I think it takes a lot. I think, as you know, it takes a lot for you to rub me the wrong way or for me to get irritated to the point of which I'm like, I'm done with you. Mm. I might be like in that moment, I'd be like, can I just have a minute not to talk to you? But after that, I think, you know, just take a moment, take a breather, don't do what you need to do. I think there's nothing wrong in being vulnerable or weak in moments like that. Mm. And I always say to people, like, why not? Own it. Own it and deal with it. And sometimes that's how you get growth. Um, You need those, you need both feelings to navigate you through life, to know where you need to go to next. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Because it's when you're feeling something negative or it, it draws your attention to something that needs to change here. Mm. You know what I'm saying? 
So you've got you've kind of got to embrace those feelings as well. And that's what my company is about. It's about having a creative way into helping young people with their personal development, but mostly around their emotional literacy. Because like I said, those indicators are important. That's what moves you. That's what tells you, do you know what? That friendship might not be good for you. Dead it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're going with this guy, this this friend, yeah, everywhere. They're doing bad stuff, right? Negative stuff. But every yeah. time you're feeling happy and positive about it, how are you going to know that this this is not good? This is not the, the friend for me. This is not what I need to be around if there is a, a little inclining of some emotions going on that's a bit negative that makes you think this is this is not it's right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that's why it's important for me. It was important for me to make sure my child's emotional literacy was there. So because one, as, as, as him being neurodiverse, I knew that was might be a bit of a challenge for him as well. Yeah. Um, and it's necessarily a challenge for him, but his impulsivity that's related mm. to his ADHD I knew was going to be there. So for me, I needed him to be able to process his emotions to take accountability because I knew that sometimes his impulsivity was going to mean that he was going to end up in certain situations. Mm. That's why it was really important for me to keep him busy all the time um, and in positive environments all the time so that he can still be impulsive because I didn't want to get rid of his impulsivity. I didn't want to... Mm. Perfect, do you know what I mean? I didn't want to like subdue it because it's a part of him. Yeah. But at the same time, to me, that's how it can go wrong. It's depending if you're in a negative space or a positive space. So I made sure as a parent, because I, I, where I live is in a negative space, there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's where it's my family come from. It was out of my control. But what was in my control was where I made him spend his time, knowing that I was had to raise him in a negative negative environment. So I made sure that his time was spent in positive places. That he was doing BMX, he was in gymnastics, he was in swimming, he was in basketball. He's been going to Saturday music school, like everything. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I was like, you're going to be impulsive. We can't get rid of that. What we can do is make sure when you are impulsive, something good comes out of that. Or just something bad that comes out of that. So that's what... GDA is about and that came about from everything I do with my my, my own son um, and now luckily I've created this beautiful business that works for most children I, I was talking to a social worker the other day and she said what I, what she likes about the business the most is that the people that struggle with think, the things that I'm talking about with emotional literacy are the mm-hmm. ones that are in the vulnerable groups and that's either looked after children or children with SEN and so often they just get separated from everyone and being emotional, being emotional literate is important for everybody, not just vulnerable people. Yeah. And the fact that I've created a space um, and a program where all young people can come together at the same time and learn the same thing and yeah. take what they need to take from it. She said, that's the nice part because she said most of the time, these vulnerable groups of children get taken out, yeah. removed from everybody else to go and learn this thing where I've just created this, Space. This space, this one size fits all kind of thing for everyone to come and learn and take what they take from it. But so yeah, so that's what we do. We and it was created that way because I just again, like I said, through the heat process of my healing, I realized that my parenting had to change. Um, which then brought me on to I've been getting therapy for the last year. Um, because as my son became a teenager even though you heard me go through that big chunk of a journey, which brought me to building a business. Once he hit the teenage years, I really struggled to parent him. Mm -hmm. I really struggled to parent him. And the reason why is because 
everybody knows teenagers are going through some hormone stuff and they can be horrible. When I say I didn't want to be a parent no more at that stage, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't enjoying parenting. I said, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how people do this two, three times. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> right. Um, and I felt that's when my trauma came out the most. Because a big part of my trauma from my parents that I got left with, which I've had this conversation with my parents, is rejection. Um, which my which my lovely mother did apologize for and did own up to it because I did have it. Um, I did say to her one one day that I never felt like I was their priority, and that yeah, feeling yeah. of never feeling like I was their priority left me feeling feeling rejection. The time when I got that feeling of rejection is the time when my dad committed a lot of infidelities. So then my my trust with men was broken at that point. But then mm. at the same time, I'm a teenager starting to get to know about boys myself. <laughs> but then now my trust around boys and men is broken. Yeah. But then I've got it mixed up with this rejection. So I've gone into this whole cycle now. Because I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to this phase now where you're a teenager getting attention getting attention now i don't like rejection at the same time but then i don't trust men at the same time because my dad's just broken my heart because he's just done a business at the time yeah so confusing the whole thing i I won't even go into the madness i'll do the madness yeah so when it came to my son being a teenager now, remember I had this this argument with my partner and I remember him telling me, you just hate men. No, what kind of statement is that to me? You can't say I hate men. Come on now. But then I actually went away thinking about it really hard and thought, no, but when it does come to men, there is something about them I get very angry about. I get very, you can't talk to me like that. Like, I get very yeah. confrontational and I won't up with anything like you've got your one little thing one little tiny bit of rejection and i'm done i'm cutting out and yeah i turn cold i turn icy and all of this stuff. um so i did sit there and i thought you know what i think i spoke to a friend about it because i was really, really on my mind i said why would he say that like, i hate men speech i can't hate men yeah. i can't hate men and have a son and have used partner that's wild and then my friend was like maybe you don't hate men but maybe you certainly are angry at men and i thought Oh. that's true you know and I think because I was angry at my dad and I carried that with me yeah so then when my son got to a teenager now and I'm telling you parents your children will not thank you for anything you do for them right now mm. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> they will not appreciate anything right now they will never they will appreciate it once they have kids themselves that's when they come back and tell you mum thank you or when they've made it in their career yeah say big i bought my mom house car whatever because get it now yeah they'll never appreciate you now but you got to keep going because they're your children but what was happening for me i went to throw the towel in because i had this anger with men still and this feeling of rejection that was never resolved so when he got on my nerves or didn't listen to me do it yourself then yeah Yeah. i don't care yeah if your life turns out like this, that's your business. Yeah. You should say to him, you ain't staying in this roof, you ain't going to have no job. You'll be at it. You know what I mean? That, that's how I was. And then I started to think, I didn't want to talk to him like that, but that's how I felt at the time. As soon as he got me upset or made me feel that slight bit of rejection, like, I just felt like I was doing all of this for you as your mum 
we can't do that one thing for me. And that would just switch me oh, off. I'll just start yeah. cussing and well, we're healthy. I said, I can't be like that to my son. That's that's not even what I want to be. And then even struggled to do things with him. Because when I was when he was younger in the primary school age, did everything. Yeah. Everything, everything. Pandemic hit, I'll admit, which put a strain on things because a lot of stuff stopped and was in the house a lot. Yeah. And it was a it took a long time to like what they say come outside. Go <laughs> outside and all of that stuff. Yeah. I noticed that we weren't doing as much as more anymore as well. And that's how I grew up. Because my mum was took it quite hard when, you know, her and my dad's relationship broke. I was left a lot on my own. And yeah. then my dad went off. He didn't want to deal with it. He went off, did more stuff, came back, and I've got four siblings. Um, my mum just locked herself away. I think she just went through a bit of a change in life. So I was on my own quite a lot. I could tell you super Ted off by heart. Um, Martin Moon, Martin Moon was my thing. Some <laughs> cartoons there, back to back, just watching it while mum was in the bedroom, minding her own business, and dad was promising and never turn up, and all of those kind of things. So, I started to see that after the pandemic, especially, I was in the same boat. He was in his room, I was just in my room. Yeah. And I thought, oh my uh, God. History repeats. <laughs> In itself, I was like, what am I doing? And I just really couldn't connect with him at that time. And I was sat there and I'm like, why can I not connect? And I looked into my own childhood and I was like, ah, I didn't have my parents at this phase. This phase, I was doing my own thing. This this is my most rebellious phase. Yeah, so you couldn't even, like, recite what your parents did for you. Yeah, for me. And I was like, what thing did we do together? We did nothing. That, That phase of my life was the... That phase was when I really didn't have my parents. And that's why my aunts stepped in. Because they mm. saw that I was just getting up to all sorts. And trying to process and navigate the emotions I was feeling at the time myself. Yeah. Which was not healthy. Because I was still a child. And I was a child as a teenager. Where now I've got boys and stuff approaching me. So it wasn't healthy how I was trying to use bit. it myself and process with those emotions. You get yeah. what I mean? Which then led me to then of it, the trauma for such a long time luckily that's what I'm saying I'm, I'm so thankful for my son I always say that because I don't know where I would have been if I didn't have him at the time even though at the time it felt like crazy young and white now when I just finished uni I've got nothing to give I'm so thankful I did because it took me through a journey and a process and I wouldn't even have this business that I have today do you know what I'm saying so yeah I totally do. I'm really happy about that but yeah my aunt and that's why I said I wanted to step into young people's life the way my aunt stepped in for me do you know what I mean because I said I would have done a I would have been maybe a mum at a lot of a younger stage because yeah I was just trying to process it myself and I just didn't and that's why I say when it comes to parenting it's more about just being financially there for your child it's about teaching them about it's about giving them certain emotions as well do you know what I mean because my my grandma not my grandma my mum always says I used to be called the I swear on it yeah. I used to be called the bitch of the family because I don't hug no one. Yeah. I'm getting a bit better now. Since I got, you wouldn't believe I got baptized after I just swore in here, but I got baptized <laughs> in 2000 and where are we now? 23. So 2021. Um, since I got baptized, I'm trying. I'm trying to hug people more, but even my siblings say I don't hug anyone. The only people that you probably see my hug is my grandma. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, my own son and my partner, my little niece, my adorable niece. But I'm not <laughs> hugging nobody. I'm not hugging no one. Do you know what I mean? So I was always called like the icy one, the bitch of the family sort of thing. But then when I've 
been speaking to my mum now because I've been telling her that I'm going to therapy. She always says that, and it's quite common in Jamaican families. Yeah. My grandma wasn't loving. She was very strict. She was strict to me too. Mm. But I, I don't feel the same way my mum does because there's one place I'm going to fall asleep. You know, I'm my grandma's yeah. bosoms. <laughs> right? It's on my grandma's chest because that's one place I'm going to sleep and it's my most comfortable place. So I remember my grandma being strict. Don't get me wrong. I got beats. You know what I mean? I got beats yeah. to the bell. I know about that. But she was also, oh, hush, come, come, hug me up, kiss me, and yeah. my Katrina, and that's how I am with my grandparents. So for my mum to be like, and I, and I had to tell my mum this, so all these years you've been calling me like a bitch saying I'm cold, you've just admitted that my grandma showed you no affection, she wasn't that affectionate, but then you left me with her to get raised. Oh, sorry. You left me with her to get raised, <laughs> and then now you're saying that I have no affection. <laughs> <laughs> how ironic right? do you know what I mean so it's those little things you can give to your child as well because my mum struggles yeah. now that I'm not that affectionate yeah. but he wasn't there to give it to me you you didn't I can't recall my mum being like that do you know what I mean it's not like I dislike her or anything like that or yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, I've really got this bad relationship with my mum me and my mum are really cool we just went to St. Lucia together do you know what I mean but yeah. I'm not a huggy person but she wants me to be that kind of way but I'm like we never, you never instilled that in mm. me. So how can I be that way? It was never instilled. Yeah. I don't have it. So that's why I say it's, it's more than just the finances that you can do. And I realized that more once I became a parent, because again, like I said, especially my teenagers, I struggled to give that to my own son as a teenager. And I did not want to be that, that way. And I remember me and my son, I took him to see a play. Um, it was at Theatre Pickham. I can't remember the charity, but it's another amazing guy that works with young people mm-hmm. um and he decided to do this play called uh i think it's called beat the clock i'm gonna say beat the clock and basically it was a play designed by young um young people yeah. um to talk about generational curses oh. and it basically started from the great the grandparents and dad was a migrant to the uk Okay. Um, with the mum, brought his two daughters, but was in the army with, I think in the army or in a job with a white man. The white man took advantage of his daughter. Mm-hmm. That caused a, 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 a thing in the, uh, what's his name? Negativity yeah, in the, the family. family yeah. yeah, She ended up leaving the family home. Um, on things just went pear-shaped. Then her life led to her getting with a man, didn't respect her very well. Mm-hmm. She had to kids or one kid she had about i think she had one child for him and it showed the whole 80s era of you know the yardy culture and mm-hmm. when the deptford house fire and those okay. things started that's what the area was painted around so there was that and then because she was abused as a child she wasn't very lovely mm-hmm. she didn't open up awesome. but what happened was the school that her son went ended up being where her sister worked was a social worker and then they found each other there and then the Someone was unhappy because she was told they had no family because of what happened to her. And her, yeah. her mum didn't believe her when she told her that so-and-so has been abusing me and that's what made her leave the home. Okay. So then because um, of who the son's dad was on that journey, he got stabbed. Oh. Right? Okay. So then by the time it moves to his life now, when he's a dad, he's upset because he's never had this football career because he got stabbed. And then all these yeah. traumas. And then his mum wasn't very loving. She lied to him. She said they had no family, all of this stuff. The mum still lived in the family home. At that stage, the son's partner had left him with his two kids. 
one of the kids was there getting prepared to have a child with a white woman as a black man, with a white woman have a child. And then the other son was falling into this whole road thing that we see today mm-hmm. with the knife crime. Yeah. He got into a bit of bother. Older brother's gone out to go and help. But older brother's end up getting stabbed before his child is born. So the baby mom has a problem with the younger brother now. Bro. But this time, you know the grandma that it all started with, the, the sister, one yeah, of the yeah. She's the grandma. She's the grandma now in this household, oh, okay. Right? So it's like, look. Yeah? So yeah. everyone's got problems. Everyone's got trauma now. Everyone's... I think the dad's... The dad that is now here has got a drinking problem, everything, because oh, his leg... Yeah. He got stabbed when he was younger. Can't play football. His woman's left him. He's got the two kids. He's just lost one son. He's drinking all this. They end up having this memorial dinner... And it turns out that the woman that's pregnant, so the grandma's soon-to-be great-grandchild, she is the grandchild of the man that abused her. That's what happened. And it was a play to show how trauma that's not cleared up from a while ago can play out mm-hmm. itself, play out itself, play out itself. See when I saw that play? Booked therapist the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I told the guy, said, I'll be the therapist the next day. I said, I'm not doing this, carrying this trauma. Nah, I booked the therapist the next day. Yeah. I booked the therapist the next day and said, yeah, I'm breaking this today. Because I was like, if I continue to be like this in my house with my son and where I'm in one room, he's in one room, he's going to get some traumas now. Yeah. He's going to develop something now and that's going to play out. And he he might still do. Don't get it wrong because parenting, there's no guide. You know what is interesting? I, I can't really talk as a parent as such. I think the only way I can kind of brand is being a godfather, but it's not no means by the same extent. Yeah. However, obviously when things pop up or whatever, you step in. But um, yeah, most definitely. I feel like the best thing you can do as a parent or what I can acknowledge is that you just need to go in knowing that you're going to make a mistake. You need to know that there will be something that may fuck them up. Or not may, it just will. Because the thing is, if you, if you then create an environment where they can't express that it's mm-hmm. messed them or it's made them feel a type of way, then it's going to pass on. Mm. Then it's going to become more traumatic. Then it's going to seek out into other areas, your work, your relationships with another partner. I think... If, if I can, you know, wrap it, is that really create that environment that you think that your brain needs. Mm-hmm. Healthy space where you, what you think your brain needs to cope with such traumas and it probably, probably most likely will benefit your child as well. Yeah. And self-care. Start self-care. Start some ha- self-care habits. Sunday, don't call my phone. Don't call my phone. Because Sunday is my day, right? Yeah. church I'm like go to my granddad's I'm not gonna lie some weeks I don't go to granddad's some weeks I do go to granddad's and most of the time I'll either do a face pack wash my hair or think Something it's my day <laughs> call my phone yeah. it's my day like and I think being black that's something we do. Um, I was saying our black community is something we don't do enough I can only speak on the experience as a black person and come from a black family but from looking at that I think that's something sometimes we don't do enough we still got this Work hard, work hard mentality. Yeah. Work hard till you're just dead. <laughs> you know I mean? and they don't, we don't realise actually work smart with, with working hard as well, combined to yeah. build some time into self-love, self-care, healthy habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 
what my business is all about is just building that in from young so that by the time they get to adult like us it's there early intervention yeah it's there yeah. you know what i mean we've seen early intervention work for so many other things why not for our traumas yeah. because childhood trauma presents itself in adulthood as a mental breakdown or some mental health so it's up to you man and i'm not saying that <laughs> Bad things don't happen. I'm saying yeah, yeah. it becomes a trauma because you haven't been taught how to process an emotion. Sure. So it becomes a trauma and then it plays out in your adulthood. So that's what I'm trying to reduce by the company that I built is I'm not trying to fix everyone and say no one's ever had a trauma. Yeah. I'm just trying to reduce the amount of trauma and for that to lead into adult mental health. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's high right now. If you look in the really? numbers, it's high. No, but the number one killer of men. Right. Suicide. Suicide is high. Oh, yeah. Right? And especially men. Come on now. Yeah. Old man up. <laughs> Told you can't um, even have no emotion. You don't like to cry. What are you crying for? You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's why it's important. No, it's definitely. Katrina, you've been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Hey, so what we like to do, I think I should know now, and in the process of healing, I want you to give two songs that I can add to our Spotify playlist so our listeners can go back and listen to maybe the song that helped you process, you know, the pain, trauma, and maybe it might just help them in listening to maybe the lyrics or the song. And then one more thing, a quote that inspires you. So what do you want first, quote or the songs? Let's go quote and then we'll go songs. So the quote is... um Nothing is impossible. Even the word itself says I'm possible. Love it. My favorite quote. And then my songs. <laughs> People might not know, but listen. When I'm it's my go-to song, but hold on. I need to find you sing. I want you to add a third song. You want to add a third no, no, song? No, I'm gonna say the song and you're gonna literally be like, oh stop it. So no. Listen, this is for the women. Women, when you hear this song, it's going to empower you. It's called I Am Woman by Helen Reddy. When you listen to that song, you're going to be marching down the street saying, What? And then my other song is um, Optimistic um, by Sounds of Blackness. Okay. Um, So. The two songs I want to add. So every time I I add a song yeah. every week as well. Um, but actually, before I go on to my two songs, the talk that I want you to say. So, Trina. Yes. So, you know, Drop Me Home, this before, you know. <laughs> Do you know what I'm going to say now? I feel like I can't know. Every time. <laughs> Time to call like that anymore. That could speak one more time for you. Um, every time we get into this car, what was it? Sugar Babes. Yeah, it's going to be my funeral song. I told him. Um, you know, not so bad. Time, Katrina. The song doesn't start with an A. Because I think every time we got in my car, it went straight to my battle girl. So that's why. Because it's A, A, B. Every time. Songs. If I, die, if I die before you, yeah, please, my coffin. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, the two songs I want to contribute this week 
Um, okay, Dip is so cheesy, though. It's because I heard it recently, and I was like, oh, God, that was an error of my life. Um, so, Fighter by Christina Aguilera. There's a cheesy. Do you know what I mean? That I want to add, because there's a bit of a backstory to this. So, I remember period of my life uh you know things so good and balanced in my family and i remember my sister listening to it and like singing i have a few memories of like like the people in my family singing songs mm-hmm. and i think it's just resonated with me that song i remember so clearly and being like you are a fighter but then i didn't acknowledge that i'm also a fighter and i i can chase my dreams i can do what i want so Fighter, that's one. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, uh, I've written down. One second. The second one is, okay, so <laughs> this one is Where I Sleep by Emily Sunday. Now, Emily Sunday, listen to it. So we've been speaking about home a lot and what home means to us. Um, Where I Sleep. So, what album is that? That's her first album. First album. And the reason why I like it so much mm-hmm. is because she talks about this journey that she goes on. Like, basically, talking about a process of I did this for you, I did that, but where I sleep, it doesn't matter where I sleep. I'm, I'm whole, mm-hmm. I'm home. And mm-hmm. if you know, I just love Emily Sunday. I just think she's incredible. Like, Oh First yeah, that, that was the our version of events. Friends. That was my album for twenty twelve. Our version of events, but do you know that what I mean? My album. I didn't even think about it clearly. Our version of events, title in itself. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. This is the events that he's experienced, and and I feel like music sometimes can well, yeah. process just things well, that you didn't even know. Lemonade came at the right time. <laughs> just to be honest, Beyonce's Lemonade came at the right time for me. Every song, I was like, she lived in my life. Like, every song, <laughs> I feel like Beyonce, me and Beyonce go through the same things at the same time sometimes. Because she brings the album, I'm like, I'm there with you. I'm at that stage in life too. Stupid. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I'm normally at the same stage as Beyonce, so maybe I might get the same. <laughs> That's not the goal. Goal is peace. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for the peace. I'm here for the peace. Peace. I mean. Like I said to you, I'm a Christian now. So, so a lot of things have changed in my direction and how I see the world now as well. And um, a lot of the, before I was baptised, a lot of it was, oh, I've got to be successful, financial freedom. Da, 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 da. And I think it, one, was because to continue my grandparents' legacy, that was important to me. Mm. And just to live nicely and lavishly. But then now, when I got baptised, I was really struggling with that because I was just like, you know, the Bible says money is the root to all evil and all these things. and I just seen these celebrities just getting more and more mm-hmm. unhappier. So like, I don't want that life. Yeah. Um, but the Bible does encourage that we make money for the generation that comes mm-hmm. after us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now I'm back on my A game because I'm just like exactly. I've got to continue. And not to say my grand my, my parents didn't, because I feel like because even when I speak to my mum and dad, they're very do better than us, we didn't do enough. And I think you lot did. You your time your because at the end of the day our grandparents came here didn't expect to, to to be welcomed like that and our grandparents was a lot of oh, just don't set the people them and and just do whatever mm. but my parents and your parents 
We unsettled that. They said, no, we're not doing. Yeah. yeah. We're trying to keep the peace. They brought British culture. If it weren't for them bringing in black British culture, where would this generation be? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I look at it and I say to my parents, all right, you didn't get the house like grandma and granddad did. And that's not, so not problem but what you lot did was something totally different and you gotta understand we you appreciate you for that as well we're not looking at the material things yeah grandma and granddad got the um seeds planted the seeds and got the foundations the bricks and the water but without you lot doing that whole going against the grain and starting black british music lovers rock and all this lot bringing white people and black people together because of poverty rather than you know, race, yes. you know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. that's what happened. You lived on the same council estate as a, as a white family and that lad went to your school. So then he started coming to that lovers rock yeah. rave with you. And then yeah. like this now, if you, if they didn't do that, you know what I'm saying? Could I do what I'm doing now? So yeah. that's what I look back on. And that's why I say my son might later on come back to me with a bag of stuff and said, Oh, you caused me to have this kind of impact. So now I'm a lot more easier on my parents as well. <laughs> it's going to be my turn one day. Yeah. I, mean, I really understand that they could only do what they could do yeah. at the time. Um, would you have had me saying that a couple of years ago? No, I was probably still in that angry place because I hadn't healed yet. But now I can happily say that, yeah, they could only do for what they could do. So my thing now is to pick the baton back up now, um, bridge those gaps now. My grandparents planted the seed, my parents you know stripped away the whole I mean there's still systemic racism unfortunately but you know my parents made us be able to come together create a black British culture um and yeah I think our generation is the ones that need to take that and you know benefit and reap and plant some more seeds and start Billion back up <laughs> in the Caribbean and Africa's and just keeping that connection with the UK, you know what I mean? We don't need to stay here, but we definitely can keep the connection and keep yeah. the peace. Keep the peace. Uh, yeah, keep the peace. And I'll say there's a lot. I mean, being black, unfortunately, there's a lot of generational trauma, but I for one just said, nah. Have I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna have me. Because I've seen what it can do to some people and it's it's had them so yeah, so if you if you want to jump on, <laughs> if you feel like your child should benefit, you know, look up UDA, UDA, you know, um, because, yeah, that's what made me start the journey. But like I said, I've made it inclusive for all, not just for black children, not just for neurodiverse children. I just think as a parent, healing, traumas, processing your emotions is real part mm-hmm. of personal development and, that's what I do. That's what the company that I built does. We just have a creative way of making sure personal development is there for your child and the importance of emotional literacy and building healthy habits. Katrina, I just say a massive thank you. You're it's welcome. been great. It's been amazing. It's been a journey. A journey for, for being on it, because this guy's been on my journey from <laughs> 2012. I'm saying. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. Work, mum. Work, mum. Guys, <laughs> leave No, I'm here. I'm always here. But thank you so much. I'm really grateful for this. And I just really hope that we can build and keep talking about this. I just want to build a community of healers. Mm-hmm. The people that are just ready. They're just ready to be like, let's have this conversation. If anything that this does, if it's our conversation, I feel like I've done my job. Mm. And that is what's been most important to me. Uh, conversation starter. Build people up. 
And I just, I don't get why we need to knock people mm. to get to where we think we need to be. Need to be. Just, just keep building. So thank you so much. Can I leave your listeners with this? Yes. That I always tell people, find purpose in your pain. Find a purpose in your pain. God put you through it for something. Find a purpose in your pain. I like that. You know, so you got two quotes, right? That's going to be the title. Find the purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. Thank you so much. You're welcome, guys. Bye. Bye.